Did you know that parents rank financial literacy as the number one most difficult life skill to teach? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app for families. With Greenlight, you send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and keep an eye on your kids' spending with real-time notifications. Kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. And parents can rest easy knowing their kids are learning about money with guardrails in place. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. The MOs have changed. There was no MO. And furthermore, no one provided an ID. There were no witnesses. Nobody came forward and said, yeah, I saw this guy taking pot shots at the freeway. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. In August and September of 2015, drivers in Phoenix were terrorized by a string of freeway shootings. While I was driving on I-10, I heard a loud bang near 43rd Avenue. People have said that they're trying to avoid the interstate because of what's been happening. The freeway shootings are making national headlines and making Arizonans on edge. There have been a lot of things that DPS has been chasing the last couple of days as they try to bring an end, this reign of terror of whoever has been shooting at cars out on the freeway. Six years later, no one has been convicted in the case. The shootings remain a mystery, but tonight new documents claim the state may have missed evidence that links an accused serial killer to the crimes. Bram Resnick joins us from KPNX in Phoenix. Bram, take us back to August 29th, 2015. How did this whole series of events begin? Uh, We have to understand... uh... Most of these 11 shootings, 10 of the 11, I believe, took place on Interstate 10. Interstate 10 is the main highway through downtown Phoenix. It takes you from Texas to California. So it's very well trafficked. And, you know, it was a slowly building kind of story. You know, a shooting on Interstate 10, that's alarming. Nobody was injured. And then it just kind of slowly built over the course of Uh, The next few days, there were maybe three or four shootings or projectiles, and suddenly everybody was on alert to something happening on Interstate 10. We didn't know what it was. We didn't know who was behind it. But our state police, the Department of Public Safety, got on the case since the highway. That's their beat. Uh, They got on the case and started investigating. And you saw electronic signs uh, over on the highway, like you see in most cities, uh, posting a phone number to call, a shooter tip line. uh, And it slowly built. The case started. The investigation started. Eventually, we got to 11 shootings or projectiles or maybe highway debris in all uh, over the course of about two weeks Thankfully, there was just one person injured. It was a little girl who was cut by broken glass from a window. So, you know, you're looking at something that's very random, uh, no serious injuries, thankfully, and yet it sparked memories of what happened in the early 2000s in Washington, D.C., when you had a sniper on the highways there. Uh, it sparked recollections and fears of what happened in the 2000s, late, later 2000s here in Phoenix. We had two serial killers going almost at one time. So you can imagine the alarm here. Uh, and yet, for investigators, this was a really, really tough case to get at. Right. And I imagine kind of going back to the beginning that this would have seemed 
to investigators like a one-off incident, then it happens again, then it happens again. At what point do investigators start to kind of connect the dots and, and realize that there might be an ongoing threat here? Well, that's the thing. You know, you imagine a typical investigation, you're connecting dots, you're following leads. And yet the truth is investigators were just baffled by what was going on. You had the the director of the, the Department of Public Safety, Frank Milstead, a longtime Phoenix cop now leading uh, the state troopers. You know, he says it might be a domestic terrorist. He thinks the MO is there could be two or three shooters out there. There really was nothing that investigators could hang their head on uh, in this investigation, which for the public, as you can imagine, left us even more alarmed. Like, what is going on? Especially when he starts raising the prospect of domestic terrorism. You mentioned that there were 11 shootings in total. Did they all happen in, in roughly the same location? Can you give us a sense of the area that this took place over? Right. So 10 of the 11 shootings or projectiles, because I, I don't believe, I have to go back and double check this, bullets were not found after every shooting. Mm. One of them appears to have been an altercation between two motorists, kind of a road rage incident. Uh, and, and that got grouped into that. So 10 of the 11 were on Interstate 10. Uh, a stretch of Interstate 10 that I'd say is about five miles long, very heavily trafficked, packed at rush hour, both ways in the mornings and the evenings. So you have a lot of drivers who may have felt like they were sitting ducks. Valley drivers staying extra cautious this morning on I-10 after yet another confirmed shooting. The latest happened yesterday, making it 11 incidents in 13 days. But this morning there- And you mentioned that, you know, the thing that sticks out is how seemingly random these shootings were. How were people in Phoenix reacting to this? What was it like to be in the community at that time? Well, there was genuine fear of driving on the highways. Genuine fear of driving on the highways. You talk to people at, at um, gas stations off the highway. They're thinking about it. Uh, they know again. They, we didn't know what to think. You know, so after a time, some maybe felt a little safer since there had been no serious injuries, and it didn't look like this was going to be another Washington D.C. situation. So I think people started feeling a little better about it. You had the DPS director Frank Milstead. Again, he called the shootings domestic terrorism, but he said there could be multiple shooters. The MOs have changed. There was no MO. And furthermore, no one provided an ID. There were no witnesses. Nobody came forward and said, yeah, I saw this guy taking pot shots at the freeway. So... You have to wonder what's going on here. The I-10 shootings are now making international headlines. And while the director of the DPS has stopped short of calling this a serial shooter, he describes it as domestic terrorism. And now he says investigators may have multiple suspects to find because the MOs of these incidents have changed, leading some to theorize that this is the work of more than just one person. As this is unfolding and, and starting to drag on, I understand there's not a lot of information coming out about the investigation, if the Department of Public Safety, who's conducting the investigation, has any suspects, anything like that, until we would learn they did some ballistics tests. Walk us through that. What happened was DPS did link bullets found at four of the 11 crime scenes to a specific weapon, a high point nine millimeter pistol. 
DPS went to pawn shops and requested records on any high points that had been pawned. They got eight of them. They did their tests. They said four of the bullets matched the weapon that Leslie Merritt Jr. had pawned. That was the break in the case. They believed they had matched the weapon to a suspect. Leslie Merritt Jr. has now been indicted by a grand jury. He is staring at more than a dozen felony counts. So who is Leslie Merritt Jr.? And what does he ultimately end up charged with back in 2015? Leslie Merritt Jr. was a 21-year-old landscaper, worked odd jobs, wasn't much to distinguish him. My recollection is he had no criminal record. Uh, They had the gun. Uh, They also pointed to Facebook posts of his, which appeared to suggest he was very interested in this case and had been following it closely. Uh, As soon as he was arrested, he said, I'm not your guy right away. I'm not your guy. I'm the wrong guy. I tried telling the detective that. Uh, He was charged with 15 felonies uh, connected to this case. And that was in September of 2015, really just about a week or so uh, after the last shooting, the last shooting incident believed to be connected to the freeway shooter. And then what happens after that is really unprecedented. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. So as Merritt is saying, I'm not your guy, investigators are saying, we got him, we got the guy. The governor of Arizona, Doug Ducey, even tweets out, quote, we got him. And then the case against Merritt starts to fall apart. Take us through that. So this was a pivotal moment, and I remember it well, because I got a call from the governor's office. It was about nine at night. I learned Leslie Merritt, someone named Leslie Merritt Jr. was a suspect arrested, and Governor Doug Ducey posts on Twitter, we got him, which was stunning uh, on one count in that you don't know that you got him. You've got a suspect. You don't know that you have the person who is the freeway shooter. So what happens to the case against Leslie Merritt Jr. from there? So... I'll point this out, and I don't want people to take it the wrong way, but Leslie Merritt got lucky. He had two very good lawyers on his side, which many defendants in this kind of situation might not get. Uh, And I would suggest that is really important uh, as we talk about the outcome of this case and as people think about it and how it might have been different. Leslie Merritt spent seven months in jail, ultimately before the prosecutors agree, concede, they don't have a case against him. And here's where it went wrong. It went wrong with the ballistics. The DPS examiner believed he had linked the weapon to four of the freeway shootings. Merritt's 
lawyer pointed out his gun was at a pawn shop for some of those shootings that he was charged with. So he didn't even have the gun in his possession when those shootings happened. He didn't have the gun. Right. And I should, and I should just step aside and say, as, as we learn more about the case, DPS had gathered cell phone data, ping, you know, data that appeared to show his phone pinging off towers near shooting sites. They interviewed his girlfriend. It was a pretty heavy-handed interview, if you read the transcript of it, and raises questions about whether she was coerced into saying certain things. Uh, so they had more than just the gun, they believe. But his lawyers presented their case uh, about the gun and the really circumstantial nature of what DPS was saying. And in time, the county attorney's office here, which is the main prosecutorial prosecutorial agency uh, for the state, uh, began to have its own doubts about the evidence DPS was giving it to prosecute the case. And they submitted the ballistics to their own expert. They said, here, you do a test on this gun. And the prosecutor's ballistics expert came back and said, I can't match them. I can't match these bullets, these casings to this weapon. And it was a, a stunning moment. When do you see especially in, here in Maricopa County, uh, which has had at the time, still does, a very tough-on-crime prosecutor just saying, whoa, we can't go there. Uh, that was stunning on its own. And then you have you know, this evidence coming out con- contradicting what DPS is doing about a guy who's been sitting in jail for seven months and may not even have done it. Or at least, at minimum, you can't prove, you can't make a persuasive case that he did it. It was stunning. It was stunning. And I should add, that isn't the last word on the DPS investigation. Right. You mentioned that in total, Leslie Merritt Jr. spent seven months in jail. But for the next five years or so, there's still this kind of looming threat that charges could be refiled. He's not you know, out of the woods in that sense. It's not until a year ago that you reported he was finally cleared. How did that come about? Well, let's just go, go just to the interim, what happened. So uh, Leslie Merritt is released. Maricopa County paid him $100,000 in 2018 to settle legal claims against the prosecutor's office. He would file lawsuits uh, against the state and uh, they were uh, lawsuits were filed in both state and federal court. Uh, the state case, uh, a jury ruled against him in there. There, the federal case is still pending. It's now at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, his lawyers are appealing uh, a lower court ruling in that case. So he still has one wrongful arrest case uh, still out there. The most significant case. Uh, thing that happened in the last few years, though, was in the, in the summer of 2020, a judge took the very rare step of declaring Leslie Merritt officially cleared of all criminal allegations, declaring Leslie Merritt Jr. was an innocent man. Well, not to mention, too, we talked about how big of a case this was, how important of a case this was to get right. 
But if Leslie Merritt then isn't the person responsible for all of these shootings, that means that someone else is, that that someone could have gotten away with it. Is there any indication that the case is still being investigated? There's no indication the case is still being investigated. However, for the longest time, Frank Milstead, who is no longer, he's retired now as DPS uh, director, he maintained, we're still looking into it, we're still looking into it. Uh, his, the new director, I'm not sure he's been asked that question, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, he's not nearly as public as Frank Milstead was. Um, but we do not, the, the prosecutor, the county prosecutor said, we're done with this. He's an innocent man, so what's left to do? However, go back to that investigation of the pistols that DPS confiscated in 2015 from the pawn shops. They confiscated eight pistols. Leslie Merritt Jr.'s pistol from the pawn shop was the fourth one they tested, and they believed they had the evidence. There was another pistol in there that wasn't tested. It was either pistol five, six, seven, or eight. And it was pawned by a man named Aaron Juan Saucedo. Aaron Juan Saucedo was arrested four years ago and charged with eight counts of first-degree murder for what, what became known as the serial street shootings here in Phoenix. The first murder linked to him was on August 16, 2015. That was 13 days before the first freeway shooting. Around the same time as the freeway shootings, a serial killer on the loose in the Maryvale area killed nine people in 12 separate incidents. The investigative team has found probable cause to arrest 23-year-old Aaron Sacedo. Police ultimately named Aaron Saucedo a suspect in those deadly shootings. Now, new documents that Merritt Jr.'s attorney is filing claim DPS possibly overlooked evidence linking Saucedo to the freeway shootings. If Aaron Saucedo did commit these crimes, he should be charged for them um, and leave, and, and, and leave uh, Leslie Merritt alone. There is an incredibly astonishing coincidental overlap between the Saucedo timeline, again, the first murder linked to him in August of 2015, and the freeway shooter timeline, the first shooting in late August 2015. Here's where it gets kind of murky. The Merritt Jr. lawyers are trying to use that evidence in their case, their wrongful arrest case. They point out that DPS and Phoenix PD may have missed, may have been able to stop a serial killer in his tracks if all eight weapons had been tested. Five years after a string of freeway shootings here in the Valley, could there have been a link between the freeway shooter and an accused serial killer. That's what new documents are claiming filed in a civil lawsuit against the state for a wrongful arrest. Again, Merritt Jr.'s lawyers are trying to use that in their case. But to date, Saucedo has not been prosecuted in the freeway shootings. His own, the, the murder case against Saucedo who was charged with eight counts of first-degree murder, has been plodding along since 2017. And at last check, uh, there's a pretrial conference scheduled for this month. 
uh, in that case. So it's yet to go to trial. I can't tell you much about that case and how it's been proceeding, but it is possible that some of this might come up at trial. Well, it'll certainly be interesting to keep an eye on all of that as the case does move forward. Brem Resnick with KPNX. Thanks for sharing the story. My pleasure. Thanks for asking. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. We're right here with a new one every day, Monday through Friday. And if you're looking for more podcasts after that, you can head over to vaultstudios.com for a full list of our shows, including our brand new series, Strangeville. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, for Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. Redmond.